If you're an avid outdoor enthusiast like me, then odds are good you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow like a dream. They are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Well, I have a bunch of rods rigged in the garage. So far, no boat to put them in. But uh, even as winter starts to uh, head away and I start thinking about the walleye opener, um, there's a lot of chat these days about walleye limits in Minnesota. What should we be keeping scientifically? What should we be... Uh, keeping because of what our hearts feel. So we're going to talk a little bit about limits here in Minnesota. And uh, I'm just going to daydream of getting out on opener and uh, that first tug on my gym jig. <laughs> hey there, Bill Shirk, the Matt about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. And today I have two wonderful resources uh, who are quite dialed into all the talk about limits here in Minnesota. Um, my old fishing buddy and friend, Nate Blazing, um, who is representing the Walleye Alliance today, and also Brad Parsons, uh, fishery section manager for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Hey, guys, how uh, how the heck are you? Doing, doing well, Bill. Thank you for uh, Thank you for having me on. Of course. You know, it's it's that time frame. Yes, there's a little bit of ice fishing left, and uh, our uh, border fisheries, we can get out in chilly conditions, but I'm looking forward to opener this year. Um, I hope you guys are as well. Yeah, it, absolutely. It'll be, yeah, and it'll be interesting. You know, we've had some cold weather, and uh, there's a lot of ice out there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in, in terms of ice out and what the what the water temperatures are doing, what the fish are doing in relation to spawning when the opener rolls around on the Do we dare make predictions? Last year things were early. Our ice went out and uh I thought fishing was quite good at opener. Do we feel like ice is gonna be out on time this year? Or or are you hinting that maybe it's gonna be a late spring? You know, uh <laughs> if if I could make a, a call and be a gambling man, I could, I could make a lot of money on that. But, uh, <laughs> um, it, in general right now, it looks like with the, the water temperatures and the snow conditions, particularly up North, um, I would expect normal to perhaps late if I had to guess, yep. uh, further South, uh, not as much snow on the ground. So things could, things could go a little earlier, but you know, uh, Nate's a far better walleye fisherman than I am. So I might defer to him on this one. Both of us combined. <laughs> uh, whatever. I don't know about that. But yeah, I'm I am chomping at the bit so hard here. Again, I love winter fishing, but this winter has been a little brutal, I guess I'd say. And so I'm daydreaming, watching fishing shows. Um, kind of with Brad, you know, you never know with Mother Nature. She she does what she does. Um, but right now it's kind of looking like it might be a little later than normal, although the the forecast, extended forecast, starting to see some trends in the right direction. So I'm hopeful that that uh, ice will go fast, get some of the snow melted, looking forward to the Rainy River early season trip. So all I can do is hope. And pray. Uh, so you guys are both uh, prominent voices when it comes to walleyes in Minnesota. Brad, for you... How did that come to be when you were a little kid? Was this where you saw yourself ending up? <laughs> um, well, you know, when I was a little kid, I, I took 
uh, an interest in fishing. I grew up in southeast Wisconsin. We happened to be uh, very close to a, a great little, very little lake at the top of a watershed, so it was very clean. Um, I remember one of my earliest fishing memories is seeing a long-nosed gar. Uh, you know, in my mind, it was five feet long, probably more like three feet, coming up to my bobber, and that that uh, that kind of got my my attention. And eventually, after I had moved to Illinois, um, I realized you could uh, you could work on fish for a career. So I, I did that and went back to Wisconsin for for college at Stevens Point, and out to Wyoming for grad school and. Got hired back in 1986, right out of grad school here in Minnesota, and I've been around ever since. Um, before this job, I was out in uh, western Minnesota. I did a lot of walleye research out there, uh, out of the Glenwood office in the Alexandria area. And, uh, you know, eventually I ended up in the administration, and now I'm fortunate enough to be in, in this position. Nate, do you remember your first walleye? I can't say I remember my first one. I have a lot of early memories of fishing in general. And uh, uh, we actually just this past weekend, I was chatting with my my dad and he told me some pretty funny stories about when we were just little kids, my brother, my sister, and he wanted to take us out ice fishing because he was getting the itch to go and hadn't been for a little while. And I was probably five or six. My brother was three-ish and my sister was maybe one to two. And as he's setting up the portable, he had me in the fish house, the collapsible fish house, went out to get my brother or sister, came back. I had stepped in the hole already, was wet. He threw us in the truck, folded stuff up, and that was a fishing, that was the whole fishing trip. So those stories kind of do humor me, but I've been fishing as long as I can remember. Yeah. And uh, still love it passionately. Well, the reason I wanted to talk today um, Looming might be a heavy heavy word, but it sure seems like this debate over what should be right for walleye limits in Minnesota, it just seems like it seems to be bubbling right now. You know, there have been some media articles written lately um, with pretty heavy headlines saying, you know, cutting walleye limits makes no sense. And it just seems to have people talking. So I wanted to pick both of your brains today. And Brad, maybe we start with you. Where where are we at right now with limits in Minnesota? Well, currently the statewide limit is six. Um, obviously, we have a lot of waters, including most of our major walleye lakes that have uh, a lower limit than that, generally four. And, uh, you know, the statewide Walleye limit uh, hasn't been changed since 1956 when it was reduced from eight to six. Uh, but since then, you know, fishing has changed dramatically. And there is some talk back in 56 when they changed that number. It sounds like there wasn't necessarily um, a bunch of research done when that went from eight to six. Somebody needed to pick a number and six is where they seemed to land. Is that is that fair? You know, Bill, to be honest, I, I, I don't know, but that, that seems like a, a logical reason. I, I've heard a little chat, Ron, Sharon, and I have talked about it a little bit, and it sounds like six was a number, for whatever reason, people landed on. And, and since that time, we've been at six. And now, now there seems to be growing talk about going to four. Nate, where's that come from? Uh, well, again, uh, the group that I'm representing here, the Walleye Lion Sync, we're based out of Brainerd. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, we've been more prominent here the last three or four years. And again, back to our mission statement, which is to advocate, educate, and promote responsible walleye fishing. So we've been working with the DNR on stocking efforts, supplemental stocking efforts. Uh, we try and get youth involved in, in fishing activities because there was a handful of years. I think all of us had heard that there was a concern that we're using, uh, losing a lot of the youth anglers. There wasn't the interest they were doing some other things. And I don't think anyone wanted that. Uh, the vast majority of people would say if you had the choice to get your kid out on a boat fishing, or sitting on the couch playing a Nintendo or whatever they play now, the choice is fishing. So um, our group wanted to kind of tackle that. And then also 
being very active in the Brainerd Lakes area and fishing, whether it's tournament fishing, I do some guiding, just personal fishing with my kids. Uh, we started seeing some trends and concerns in the, the walleye fishing and the populations and you know, the talk at the, the boat ramps when you're loading and under, unloading your boat in terms of how the catch was going and frustration seemed to be growing on, on people in terms of not having a whole lot of success, at least in this area, the Brainerd area, with some of the walleye fishing. So um, that got us to kind of form a, a smaller group that we reached out to the DNR and we wanted to have a discussion, just explore you know, what could be causing this? Are we missing the mark? Are we just not good fishermen? Are things changing? And again, that's been five to seven years ago. And since then, a lot of stuff has changed. We've got some of those answers, but at the same time, there's still quite a few trends that are very concerning. And again, the thought process here is we're trying to get ahead of those to ensure that the gem of walleye fishing that Minnesota is known for that, that we have that for again, future generations for the tourism side of things. So that's kind of, I guess, where we're at and why we started pushing for this four fish limit at this point. It's interesting because, you know, because of what I do for work, we obviously travel, we fish a lot of different areas and one on my mind these days seems to be Lake of the Woods, right? I have friends on the U.S. side running um, resorts who call wide-eyed and say, you can't imagine the number of people who are on the lake right now. And you start to do some simple math on what those folks are probably harvesting. And that's where I look at this, right? I see a large number of fish going out of a lake. Now, we were just up on the Canadian side a few weeks back, um, and those folks are saying, there's nobody around. We've got great walleye fishing, and nobody comes and fishes, right? So one lake, two very different potential end results for fishing. It, 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 I'm not a biologist. I don't have this figured out, but but I know what my gut my emotional gut tells me on this, right? I fish a lot in the Twin Cities, Lake Minnetonka. Of course, Brainerd Lakes is a big destination when I'm not doing my work. And I've got young sons. And I think the end result we're all trying to get to is we want to protect the legacy. I sure want Brady and Bennett Shirk to have an opportunity 30 years from now to go out someplace and maybe have some luck catching a walleye or two. And you start to hear these debates. You know, I, one of the biggies here has been Dennis Anderson has written a couple of articles recently, and and I highlighted, you know, his headline. This is February fourteenth. Makes no scientific sense, but Minnesota DNR legislature mall cutting walleye limit from four. I'm sorry, from six to four. And there's a quote in that article that struck me. The present threshold of six is on solid footing. Because of the rare occasion, an angler actually catches and keeps that many walleyes from a given lake or river. Yes, you can debate this whole thing this way, but I read something like that and I think, well, you know what? I could also walk outside and a asteroid could fall and hit me today, right? Like this darn debate, seems to be getting into semantics versus versus what is actually good for Minnesota. And I, I just don't know how to wrap my arms around all of this. Do you guys? You know, Bill, that's that's a really good point. And you know, I, I wanna I want to stress to people that that fisheries management isn't just biology. Fisheries management is the intersection of of biology, sociology, and frankly politics. Sure. Um, and it's it's an it's considered an art and a science. Um, you know, uh, as Nate mentioned, this initiative really came from concerned anglers like themselves. Our department is often criticized for being reactive rather than proactive. And um, these concerned anglers really wanted us to be proactive. You know, in the face, you mentioned the angling pressure, um, the Last year, I remember um, 
Lake of the Woods, the pressure was 3 million hours. That was in 2019. Um, and, you know, Lake of the Woods isn't, isn't the greatest example, but there are other technological changes. Anglers are far more mobile than ever, be it with fish house um, wheelhouses or with, um, you know, pop-ups and, and, you know, shelters that, that can go anywhere. Electronics are far better than they ever were. Uh, GPS, the social media posts can get people on a hot bite. You know, I, I get the idea of the science, but I think, as you mentioned at the very start, Bill, that, um, you know, six, there wasn't a lot of research that went into that. And I mentioned most of our large lakes where we do have a lot of good data and a lot of good creel data are managed with four fish. Mm-hmm. And I, there, that, Again, can, can I sit here and tell you that the Lake X and Cass County, the walleye fishing is going to get better if we go from six to four? No, I cannot do that. And I won't, I won't try and do that. And I, I don't deny, and you've seen it from um, retired fisheries folks. Um, I have current employees who are on both sides of this particular issue, and that's okay. But at some point, we have to look into what's best for the future. And we're not just dealing with increased angling pressure. You know, we, we have climate change and invasive species that are putting stressors on walleye populations. There's a, and this isn't just Minnesota. There's a lot of good research out of Wisconsin and Ontario that it's, if you have clear and warmer water, that's not necessarily good for walleyes. The good news is that Minnesota has tends to have larger lakes than, say, Wisconsin or Michigan, and and that effect seems to be less on larger lakes. Mm. So there's just you know everything has changed in the past since 1956. Fishing line, um, as I mentioned, GPS. You got people pointing out hot bites and folks moving there in in a, in a heartbeat. And so in, these are all in a matter of hours. Literally, something gets posted online and boom, people are there. Sure. Nate? Yep. I feel like uh, this debate gets you pretty emotional. (laughs) You do know me well. Um, (laughs) So kind of like Brad said, yeah, I absolutely have very strong feelings about this because we've been working on it three or four years, plus it was another three or four years in the making of mulling on this about what should we do? There's not a perfect answer. No one's going to say that. And and I said this the last time I was on with you, I don't think badly of anyone that disagrees, but when you're looking at into your heart, what's that say? And to try and say there's no scientific biological data behind this, I, I don't buy that. Because if we wanted to get into some numbers, I've, I've got some numbers, you know, from our, our Gull Lake stuff when we talked about um, with the DNR, when it goes back to, you're looking at 40-year averages of gill net surveys and fall electroshocking surveys, what the numbers were prior to zebra mussels coming into these lakes in 2013, as an example, your, your average gill net at that point was about seven fish per net. Then you go to 2013 to 2021, after the zebra mussels have, have came and taken their effect, you're down to less than five, four, four and three quarters. It sounds like a small decline, but actually it's a third decline. Then you go into your fall electroshocking results, which are to measure basically how good the stocking efforts did at earlier in that year. Some examples of the good stuff, 2005, 186 fish, 2009, 154 fish, 2011, 272 fish. Zebra mussels happen. 2014, three fish. 2017, 12 fish. 2021, zero fish. So that's what kind of gets me worked up a little bit when the opposition tries to say there's no biological reasons. Again, I'm not arguing that a a drop from six to four is going to do anything to the population, but there's absolutely some scientific backing as to why we have these concerns. And, and, and that's just the effects of the lake. Hopefully, you know, we'll take some time to Brad touched on some of the other pressures, but one of the big hot topics is forward facing sonar. And (laughs) 
we can have a long conversation about that, but that absolutely is going to be a game changer, is a game changer, much like mapping, much like spot lock, you know, so I'll leave it at that for now. And we can get back to into that in a little bit, if you'd like to get to that. Well, I will tell you, we were using it in Canada, right? I'll have a unit this year on my boat. Um, and it is darn near tactical. And for those who might not be familiar with this, I drop my sonar into the water and it says, it shows me in real time, oh, look, there's a school of fish 20 feet off the front of the boat. Gosh, I think I can count 12 fish. Wait, where'd they go? They were just there. Now they're gone. Now I pan over a little bit. Oh, there they are. They moved just to my left. Oh, now they're 25 feet. And I drop a bait down. I can see my bait. I can see the fish reacting to the bait. It's it's amazingly cool. I'm not going to lie about that, but it almost feels like cheating a little bit. Now, we've always had these chapters, right? When, when technology changes, when we had some of the mapping, I felt the same way, but I don't know. We're, we're just becoming very, very good at finding the fish versus when I was a kid in my 12-foot rowboat with a green box and a rope with a weight that I drove around double-checking everything. You know, it's we're good at finding fish, and it has an impact. And, yes, there is – there's been a lot of talk recently about, hey, show me the science that says dropping from six to four will make a difference. Well, I've been lucky enough to be a part of the Natural Resources Roundtable that happens every year where people come in and talk about the future of Minnesota's resources, fish and wildlife. And the message I've heard over and over again is you drop it from six to four, yes, it's not going to have an impact on the lake. But that becomes a social debate. It is about changing the mindsets of the public. The science shows the science shows you go to two and then you start to have an impact, correct? Yeah, that that's that's we could we could definitely show that. And there we do have creel data. Um I know um uh, Otter Tail Lake uh, a couple of years. We did have up to you know 15% of the people that were keeping uh, more than either five or six fish. And the, one of the others, I want to get back to something that Nate was talking about with the the effect of, of zebra mussels. And one of the arguments that I hear is, well, don't drop the limit, just stock more fish. And the reality is that there are certain problems that we cannot stock our way out of. Mm-hmm. Stocking is an incredibly valuable tool in many cases. But I would also point out that most of the walleyes caught in Minnesota um, are naturally reproduced. However, most of the lakes where you can catch walleye are dependent upon stocking. But if you have things like zebra mussels and spiny water fleas and clear water that change the food web or warmer water and clearer water, which squeezes the optimal habitat for walleyes, just putting more fish in is not a good scientific way to fix that issue. It, it just, it just isn't there. There are places that I am all for stocking. It's going really well and where it works, we do it. Trust me, but you can't stock your way out of every problem. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that. And Stocking is a very valuable tool, but it's not always a solution, right? And this doesn't just apply to fish, right? Look at the uplands. You can throw 100 pheasants out into 300 acres, and unless those acres have, you know, nesting cover, proper winter habitat, food source, right? Doesn't matter what's out there. They can't survive, but you create the right habitat and also manage the hunting and you have renewal. You have a resource that lasts and we are just being hard on our resource. 
And I saw it two weeks ago. I live on the west side of the Twin Cities and drove out past Lake Independence. And I looked at that lake and thought, that poor lake. There were so many ice houses on that little round basin. And I thought, if you just do basic math, right, it adds up. All right, let's do this. Let's pay a couple of bills quickly here, and then um, I have a question for you both. I'm Bill Shirk, and you are listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Um, Of course, there are all kinds of great sponsors that help make the Minnesota Bound Podcast happen every week. Uh, uh, I'd like to thank our newest sponsor, Oreo Ritz. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. You know, today is a day for adventure, and Cub has all the Nabisco snacks you need to make sure that adventure is delicious from start to finish. Life is just sweeter when you share Oreo cookies on the trail. Also, when you crunch Ritz crackers at the campsite or rock the boat with rich cheese crispers. Stop a Cub on the way to your adventure. The great outdoors is calling. Be sure you bring the snacks. Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pontoon Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Okay, my guest today, I have Brad Parsons, uh, fishery section manager from the DNR, and Nate Blazing on behalf of the Walleye Alliance, Inc., Oh, there's been a lot of chatter recently, um, and sides digging in heels a little bit on this debate. Do we stick with six fish, six walleyes here statewide, or do we eventually make a move to four? Nate, where, where is this debate headed? What are next steps coming here? We, well, again, since we're in legislative session right now, um, the bill made it through two committees last year in the Senate, did not get a hearing in the House. Um, Then it went into conference committee and special session. It ended up not making it into law. Um, I would say last year was a somewhat odd legislative session. and, and again, you got to take into account whether it's a budget year or not for your proposals. So we decided uh, with talking with Carrie Rood, Senator Rood, again, who's carried the bill in the Senate, um, that we would bring the proposal back this year. Um, so the bill would pick up again where it left off. Uh, I think it's in Senator Kiffmeyer's um, committee. Um, Representative Eklund, in the House side of things from IFALS has said he would author it. Um, we've reached out to Representative Hansen, who is the chair of the Environmental Committee on the House, because I believe he made a comment, I think it was in one of the articles, that he had not necessarily heard from the public that this was wanted. And so we did. Um, I think kind of somewhat pepper him with some emails from folks that, again, are in favor of this. So so back to our, our organization is made up of all different types of anglers, lake associations, resort owners, fishing guides, tournament anglers. And I'm not going to pretend and say everyone's in favor of this, all the, like we already talked about. But again, the vast majority of folks are in favor of it. And a lot of folks that we're on the fence or unsure. Once you have the discussions like we're having here about the whys, a lot of times they they're they're become more agreeable to it. So um, we're still waiting for things to kind of start moving at at the session at the legislature. Um, the first bill deadline I think is right before Easter. So 
we're doing okay there. We're still in the education piece. Like you said, this the debate has gotten very vocal lately. I'd say more so one-sided. We haven't really been vocal to speak our side of things. Um, this is the first kind of opportunity to do that. Um, we may be doing an article in the Star Trib with Dennis Anderson. As you said, he did two kind of, I would say, on the other side of things. And then we're, we're working with some other media folks here, um, well-known guys that we're kind of going to develop an ad campaign um, showing a lot of notable fishermen that people know, not just in Minnesota, but across the nation that, that are in favor of this. So the one thing I want to say is we absolutely defer to the fishing experts, which is Brad and his staff. But at the same time, the social aspect, I would say as avid anglers, as fishing guides, we're on the water a lot. And so I think if you take a combination of what we're seeing, like you just said, Bill, and, and combine that with the biological stuff, the research stuff on the DNR, um, that will get you where you need to be. It can't really be one side or the other. And I know folks are pretty gun shy on, we've heard it, about legislation has no place in dictating policy here. A lot of that, I'd say, to be frank, goes back to the anti-musky stuff a couple of years ago. Um, I think this is a little different. This is what I wouldn't consider coming from the vast majority of, of anglers. Um, there is some scientific data to show why the concerns happen or, or are there. So I guess in a nutshell, you know, that's a whole lot of rambling for me. I'll be quiet and see if you have anything to say on that or if Brad has any response to that as well. Brad, yeah. I'll yeah. just let you go. <laughs> sure, sure thing. Um, you know, I, I, I hear I hear those same, many of those same things that um, that the legislature really doesn't have um, any business in, in fisheries management. Well, as I said, fisheries management is a combination of biology, sociology, and politics. It's just, it's the reality of things. And if, if the majority of our public, and that is what I am hearing, I'm getting far more, when I get comments from people, they are far more, yeah, you know, four, four is fine. Don't, don't worry about it. Just do it. Then I get from others. And I do, I respect the people who um, say we don't have the science. Well, we manage a couple thousand lakes for walleyes and we can't be everywhere every time. Unfortunately, when budgets got cut a while ago, one of the first things that went were creel surveys on our non-large lakes. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's tricky. We are, fortunately, we are ramping those back up. Uh, we did get a special appropriation in order to do that. And that's great. But in general, and, um, I know we have we have a, a walleye work group. Um, that's one of the places where this uh, idea came from. And while I will not say that they are unanimously in favor of this, I know there are at least three or four who aren't out of the 18, but the majority are. And it's that. And then when I speak to some of them, many of whom travel to state for various things, as Nate said, when they're talking to people, they're telling me the vast majority of folks are in favor of this. Um, you know, our, our honestly, our last statewide walleye survey or um, fishing survey was pretty evenly divided between um, if we went to four, I in support, yes, no, and basically I don't care. And so if you take the I don't cares, um, that, and I know you could swing that the other way. But the huge majority of anglers out there are just having fun and enjoying themselves. And they don't want to interject themselves into things like this. So they're, they're happy. Um, and that's good. And we want them to stay happy. You know, we've, we had, you know, the pandemic started it, but we have maintained higher fishing license sales. That's, that's a great thing. We're thrilled about that. Um, but the reality is that to, because a lot of this has to do with sociology, the legislature may be the right place for this. If I had biology on all 2000 lakes or whatever it is we manage for walleye that said yes or no, I would trumpet it from the hills. Unfortunately, I don't. As I said, the places we have the really, really good biology, most of those lakes 
are already at four. If, if I could add on to a couple points Brad just made there. Um, so again, the notion that this should not come from legislative efforts, it should come from the DNR rulemaking. That, so the rulemaking process is not necessarily a real easy and clean process either. You know, you throw the rule out there, then you have public comment period. If you get X amount of comments, you can go to hearing, which then you're in court. So there's no guarantee that that would pass or not. So when we started trying to figure out the direction to go with this proposal, we decided the legislative route, thinking it would be a little cleaner, represent the, the sportsman rather than it coming from the agency. At the same time, we've heard several times from many legislators over the last couple of years they do not necessarily want the state agencies to have the rulemaking authority or to change implement regulation. So they want to be a part of the process. They want to hear from the constituents. That's what's happening right now. That is exactly why we decided to go this route rather than to, you know, see if the DNR could get this through the rulemaking process or not. Um, and then to shift gears, Brad had mentioned earlier in the interview here about some of the data out there. And, and the one I'm going to refer to is it's a new draft one from Wisconsin. Uh, it's a walleye management plan that was released in draft form here on the 24th of, of February. And what I thought was interesting is I think it was close to 5,000 people and, and I don't have the numbers completely right, but 5,000 people surveyed and 16% of people were in favor of a five fish limit, which is what they currently have in portions of the state. Three fish was the magic number. 51% said they were in favor of that. You go down to two fish, they had 13% that were in favor of that. Their other findings were, in the same survey, that the most important thing on a person's enjoyment factor of a fishing trip is, again, bending the rod, catching the fish. They'd much rather catch 15 fish and keep four or six, what have you, versus catch six fish, keep them all, you're not having the action. So... The harvest side of things is definitely through the studies I've seen seems to be secondary compared to their harvest, their keep rate. I, I think about our family and how we fish. Absolutely. We want to bend the rod as often as possible. For my 11 and 13-year-old boys, if it's 100 times in a day, that's better than 30. But I can probably count on one hand the number of fish we have kept to eat, right, with the boys. It just, it's not something that's important to us, right? And and I look at Lake of the Woods where, you know, I want to make sure I've got my numbers right here. Four walleyes, total of eight combined with sauger, so eight fish a day. And you'll see people who nothing matters outside of the eight fish in the bucket, right? So they're two very different experiences on our lakes and and I don't know which is which is right I know which feels right to me well and Bill I, I don't think there's a right or wrong on that again I do think there's some generational influence on that I've experienced it firsthand from growing up um, look at what the lenders did with catch and release and how that has grown throughout the years. There's absolutely a shift in how people look at their fishing. Again, is it important to the younger generation, say? Is it important to go out and catch their limit, or do they want to go out and do nothing but catch fish, take a picture, post it on social media, and they their day is complete? There's absolutely that change, which is great. Um, I like to eat fish. I eat a fair amount of fish. Not, not every day by any means, but... I've also heard that, that this, this proposal is to basically do away with consuming fish. And that couldn't be further from the truth as far as I'm concerned. Um, the one other point that, you know, I wanted to kind of get into here when we came up with this proposal is, and Brad can probably speak to this more so in the numbers, but I believe the statistics show that the vast majority of the fish that are caught are from the minority of anglers. So if you want to say 10% of your top end anglers catch 90% of the fish or something like that. The Which thought process- you are clearly in, Nate, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thank you for saying that. 
But what I'm trying to get at is if that is the case and so many of the high-end anglers that are in that figurative boat are the ones that say, hey, we have no problem with this. If that means we give up catching a couple extra fish and Joe Public, who's been struggling to catch two, three walleyes on an outing, I think it increases their chance of having, you know, getting a few more fish. And so if you want to get in the recruitment side of things, in theory, the same amount of fish could be harvested. It's just that equity of catch is spread out to a larger group of people. And again, goes back to a greater satisfaction for more people. I don't see how that's a, a lose in my, my opinion. All right. I have one other question for you guys. I'm sure we're going to blow up the internet, but first let's thank a few more of our sponsors, Bill Shirk, man about the woods. You are listening to the Minnesota bound podcast. Uh, we have a pile of sponsors that help us each week. And I'd like to thank Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. We also want to thank Connecticut. Do you know Connecticut? You know, the Shirk family, we love Connecticut water, no secret, always have. We live out in the country and we have that ironclad well water. That is good news and bad, right? Well, we treat all of our water with the Connecticut whole home water treatment system. And we also use Connecticut's K5 drinking water system. You know that white buildup you get around the faucets? We get none of that. The dishes are clean. Katie loves what Connecticut water does for her hair and skin. And the boys, they always fill their water bottles before heading to soccer or hockey practices. What more do you need to say? Call Connecticut like we did and look forward to clean, safe water. Also, we'd like to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. The Shara family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. All right, I want to get back to this. You know, the world is just a very strange place right now. It seems like nobody can disagree and have a conversation and be sympathetic to either side. It feels to me like we just build walls on every topic and you're either right or you're wrong. There's no room for compromise. And I read a quote in the newspaper from somebody who made it sound like, gosh, you're taking away my right to fish. Pretty soon I'm going to be a bad guy because I want to keep a walleye. That drove me nuts because I don't think anyone is trying to go to that place. If anything, we are doing just the opposite. We are trying to come up with a long-term management strategy so that people always have the opportunity. Am I wrong to say that? I, I don't Not think so at all, Bill. Um, I, I really don't. And I, I think to Nate's earlier point about spreading out the harvest, that, that is something that, that can happen. Um, when I talk about, I, I do think there are places where this will make fishing better. Can I tell you where they are? No. But it particularly occurs when you get a, you get a hot bite and you get, and particularly early in the season. And if people get on it, spreads on social media, a lot of fish come out. That just has to leave fewer fish for later on in the season. And I eat fish. I, I keep some fish when I go out. Um, 
I don't like to eat frozen fish. So I tend to eat um, right away. So I am not here to villainize anybody who wants to keep their limit of fish. I, if, if that's the limit, feel free, go ahead and take it. I'm more than, more than happy for that to happen. Um, I'm not here to legislate morals, but I'm also not here to take away people's opportunity. And it's really the opportunity that we manage, manage for. That's the most important thing for us is to have people to have the opportunity to fish, the opportunity to keep a few here and there if, if they so desire, the opportunity to throw them back if that's what they desire. So I, again, I, I do, I think this has been a respectful debate. Um, you know, you talk about the divided world. I was frankly just in Washington, D.C. last week on some business for the Mississippi River. And, you know, you want to talk about a divided place, that's one. But what we were talking about was natural resources protection issues, including the fight against invasive carp in the Mississippi River Basin. That's a bipartisan issue. It really is. Um, you, uh, Nate talked about the folks in the legislature who are carrying these bills. It's both sides of the aisle. One of the few things that I think all of us can agree on is that we need to be proactive in protecting our, our resources for ourselves now and for, uh, you know, Nate's kids. My kids are grown now. It's up to them whether they want to go fishing. But um, again, we get criticized so often for being reactive. This is a proactive grassroots movement. The DNR is not, did not intend to impose this upon anyone. Which I'll just say that gets to some of the political end of this, right? Because you have folks at the Capitol who say, well, wait a second, I don't want to bring this to my constituency because they may not like it, right? And that is where this partially becomes a political debate. And I understand that. I'm sympathetic to it. But we bring all kinds of tough decisions, right, to people. Next steps here. Um, Nate, you talked a little bit about it. Brad, what, where does this go? Well, that's entirely up to the legislative process. The department has decided to support it. I have testified in favor of it, and I will continue to do so if I am asked. Um, at, at this point, like I said, the legislators uh, will do what they need to do. And there you have it. We just wait and see and if it goes no place in the legislature guess what we'll be talking about it again before the next session nate don't you think that's fair i do and and you know dovetailing off of that it as we start getting a little more vocal with our reasons of why we feel this is important and needed I've always urged people, even if you're opposed to it, contact your local legislator, let them hear from you. Um, that's, again, they're supposed to be representing the people, the constituents in their areas. And so back to what Brad has heard and what I've heard, the vast majority of folks are in favor of this. We want this. So if the majority is in favor of it, and I should also say, if if the DNR, Brad or his fishery managers would have say, hey, this will have a detrimental effect on specific lakes or overall, we drop it in a second. I'd walk away from it so fast. But I just, I see no negative in that, in the proposal at this point. I see only positives that could come from it. Uh, again, changing how people think about it for the future. My wife gave me a bunch of crap last year. Uh, it was at maybe the second hearing in the Senate and we did it over Zoom. And so again, I'm not a real, I don't like public speaking. And even in a small setting like that, I was a little uncomfortable, but again, I felt strongly in it. So in the background strategically, and this is where my wife gave me crap, I've got a picture of my oldest daughter who's now in sixth grade. And a couple of years ago, I took her ice fishing. She caught a 30 inch walleye. I blew a picture up, put the date on it. I look at it every day as does she. I put that right next to my computer so the legislators could see that. Because again, 
it's that important to me that this is for that, the new generations. It's not for me. I want to take my kid out and be able to have some success walleye fishing. There was a time where I almost burnt my kids out from fishing because I'm a walleye guy. I take them out walleye fishing on gull and we would <laughs> struggle. I shifted gears, went to pan fish, but now I'm pretty strategic when I take them out walleye fishing, but I want them to enjoy walleye fishing as well. So um, I've heard a little bit lately that this is all for personal gain. And, and again, that's one of the ones that does kind of get to me. There's no personal gain in this. This is for the future of the resource. This is for future generations. I got nothing more on that. I wholeheartedly, that's how I feel on it. So I'll leave it at that. And I will add to that, that just because we're involved with walleye fishing doesn't mean it's about us. It just means maybe we care a little bit more. And if we are not moving ahead, we are getting left behind. So I hope um, this topic, you know, stays on the burner, and I hope we make some progress. Brad, Nate, appreciate both of you for joining today. Thanks for yeah, taking the time. Absolutely, Bill. You know, if, if, I, if I could add just one more thing real quick. You know, I, I don't want people to think that, that I'm sounding the alarm bells on walleye fishing in Minnesota. Please don't. I hope people don't take it that way. But the reality is we, we are facing challenges, and walleye are a highly – sensitive to their habitat species. So anything we can do to improve that is good. Um, to, to Nate's point, I don't believe this is going to hurt a lake anywhere. And I think there are lakes, although I can't tell you which or where or when, that it might help. And so to me, as you mentioned, that's moving forward and being trying to be a little proactive rather than trying to fix a bigger problem down the road. Love it. Thank you, gentlemen. And I hope if you've been listening today, maybe you've learned a little something or just uh, thought about what is important as we move forward. Hey, I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories, presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. You know, my family uses Connecticut. You should, too. Also, I'd like to thank our newest sponsor, Oreo Ritz, Hewitt Docks, Aluma Trailers, built to deliver excitement, Star Bank, the bank we use at Ron Shera Productions, and the Minnesota Propane Association. Until next week, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. See ya. Mm-hmm.